Well, good morning, friends of the Compass Church. Good morning, all my friends at the 95th Street campus. I've never said good morning to the 95th Street campus before. Uh, The 95th Street campus has always participated on Sunday morning via our Saturday night service. Well, we have uh, stepped up in technology, and now we're able to connect simultaneously. Isn't that fun? And so, love you all at 95th. Hey, um, I, I wanted to tell you it was a big week for me. I transferred into, I was officially inducted into a very sacred society called the Old Geezers Club. <laughs> I am officially an old man, and the ceremony, the, the rite that I went through to become part of this group is called the colonoscopy. <laughs> I, I had my first colonoscopy on Tuesday. What a What a treat. What a treat. I, and now as an old man, I, you know, we have so many young people in our church who don't know what I'm talking about. I feel like being on this side of the, the Great Divide, I have a responsibility to instruct you on the colonoscopy. <laughs> and so normally you get your colonoscopy when you're 50 years old. I'm, I'm 48, so I went a couple, a couple weeks early because my doctor, based on symptoms, suspected I had a polyp. That's what they're doing. They're looking for a polyp in your intestines. And so I was wheeled into this room, and, uh, and at once in the room on this table, I, I went to sleep. And I'm not sure if it was the drugs that made me go to sleep or if I passed out when I saw the instrument they were going to use on me <laughs> because it was like a hose. It was about 30 feet long, you know, coiled up. And I just went out and... It's a scope by which they examined my uh, intestines, found the polyp, and it then became a robotic arm. I don't know how they did it, but it cut it off and cauterized it and put a Band-Aid on it. and No Band-Aid, I'm talking about that. And in half an hour, it was all over. And some of you young people would say, well, that doesn't sound so bad. You just took a half an hour nap. That's all. You know, it sounds to me like the doctor does all the hard work. You just sleep. Well, that's where you're wrong, young people. Let, let me tell you, my, my doctor in our opening uh, visit, he said, Jeff, uh, this is a teamwork thing. You're going to have a role in this journey as well. And he said, in fact, I think your role is far harder than my own. It's the preparation role that I had to play. Uh, I, I had to fast for 20, over 24 hours the day before, and, and I almost died. Uh, I was this close. And I sat at the dinner table with my family, and I watched as they ate. And they were like, oh, this is so good, Dad. Oh. They did that to make me feel bad. Christian family. I mean, what's up with them? The fasting wasn't the worst part of it, the, the medication was the worst part of it. As a little kid, I hated liquid medication. I could take pills, but I liked small doses. You know, the teaspoon dose in a small little bottle, not the tablespoon in a bigger bottle. I went to the pharmacy to pick up my medication, and I had to drink this. Can you believe that? Yeah, no kidding. All of it, gallon and a half. It was Torture. You talk about gag reflex. I'm just, Lord, help me. Ah. And uh, this medicine makes you do funny things. I, 
it's church, so I can't tell you what it makes you do, but you spend a lot of time in the bathroom. I'll just leave it there. Would you allow me to make a spiritual application from the colonoscopy? (laughs) This may be a bit of a stretch, but work with me, okay? Young people may assume that the colonoscopy journey is a passive one. Just take a nap. The doctor does all the work. Not so. Turns out, yes, the doctor has a role, but you've got a big job yourself. You are very active in the whole journey. Colonoscopy is just like, not just like, but kind of like Providence in this way. One of the temptations in the doctrine of providence is to say, the Lord does all the work. We've learned that providence is the hand of God at work in our lives, that God's at work behind the scenes, guiding and providing and writing our story. And some people, some Christians, mistakenly conclude that their job is to take a nap, that they can be passive and let God do all the work. Not so. As we're about to discover, just because God is active does not mean we should be passive. We must be active too. Correctly understanding providence, God's activity in the world, should yield a Christian who is engaged actively, intentionally, with boldness. And that's going to be evident in the story of Ruth. Yes, the story of Ruth is about God's providence, but as we're about to see, Ruth is not exactly waiting around for God to do it all. She is working actively with him. Let me remind you of the context so far. Ruth is a young woman, but a a widow as a young woman. She's from Moab. She's a Gentile, but she's moved to Israel with her mother-in-law, Naomi. They are both widows. They came to Naomi's hometown of Bethlehem. They came desperate, poor, vulnerable, and God showed up. With God's great providence, he led Ruth, this young woman, to work, to glean grain in the field of a man named Boaz, a single guy, a godly guy. God was all over this, guiding her to that field on that particular day that he showed up. They met Sparks were flying, there's blushing going on as they talk, and Boaz really is taken by Ruth, and Ruth is smitten with Boaz, and we're enjoying the providential romance until it comes to a screeching halt. You know, sometimes guys don't have the guts to initiate the relationship developing any further. Sometimes guys, you know, they need to ask a bold question, you know, and they just freeze and they don't and therefore it stalls. That's the case of what happened. It's been three months. It was the beginning of the harvest when Ruth showed up. It's now the end of the harvest. The harvest took three months and Ruth is going crazy. She goes, I know he likes me. I think he likes me. I like him. Why won't he say anything? Well, part of the problem was that they were always in a group. Uh, Ruth was part of a group of women that were gleaning in Boaz's field. And every time Boaz came, they could talk, but there was always others that were part of the conversation and around. And so Ruth is saying it's a problem, Naomi. She's talking to her mother-in-law about the problem. And Naomi, a very smart, very strategic mother-in-law, has a plan. 
She sees the moment of opportunity. She identifies it, and she lays out a plan for her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Let's, let's read what Naomi says. Here's uh, Ruth chapter 3, verse 2. If you want to read along, you'll find the passage on page 265. These are the words of Naomi to Ruth. Verse 2 of Ruth 3. Tonight, Naomi says, Tonight, Boaz will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. This is it. She says, you need to wash. You need to put on perfume. You need to get dressed in your best clothes and then go down to the threshing floor. All right, what's going on? Well, we're not farmers, most of us. And so I had to do some research on what is this winnowing and threshing floor. And here's what I've discovered. The, the harvest was a process. And the last step of the process is winnowing. You see, when you harvest grain or barley, wheat or barley, uh, you have a mixture of the, the grain and the chaff. The chaff is kind of a leafy waste that's scooped up in the harvesting process. And winnowing is the means by which they separate the chaff, the unwanted part. They would scoop up the mixture and throw it in the air, and the wind would blow away the light chaff, and the heavier grain would fall to the ground. And so this was the final stage of preparing the grain. And when they were all done, they had a party. When they were all finished, the owner, traditionally the owner of the field, would pay for a great celebration with all of his workers. A job well done deserves to be celebrated. And this was the night of the celebration. And a lot of things happened on that night. For one, the owner who's paying for the party would be there, would be part of the celebration. And then when the party was all over, it was tradition that the owner and a few of his men would sleep at the sight of the grain to guard it overnight. You have to understand, this finished, separated grain would be like cash. Very valuable. The next day, they'd put it in bags and get it into a secured building. But for the night, it was out in the open, and they didn't want thieves stealing. And so the tradition was the owner and some men would guard, sleep all night and guard. And Naomi is like, ooh, this, this guy's always scooting off to his house in Bethlehem. He's inaccessible. He's never alone. This is your chance in the cover of darkness to get alone with Boaz and have a much-needed conversation. Wow. Naomi is bold. Well, you, you think Naomi's bold. Check out Ruth. Verse 7, here's how it went down. Boaz went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. So this is at the end of the celebration when it's time for him to go to bed and to sleep where he can guard his grain. While he's sleeping, Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and then laid down. And in the middle of the night... Something startled the man, and he turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? That's how he said it, like that. Who are you? <laughs> he asked. This is fun. We've got, we got to imagine what's going on. So, so the party's ending. Uh, Boaz says goodnight to everybody, and he goes over to the far side of the grain pile, and he goes to sleep. And in the darkness of night, Ruth sneaks up to where he's sleeping. And the first thing she does is she uncovers his feet. 
You say, that is weird. It was all part of Naomi's plan. She came up with that little detail. Essentially, here's what's going on. You know, if you're really warm and cozy, you potentially could sleep right through the night uninterrupted. Have you had nights like that? Those are glorious nights. As you're part of my old man's club. They come less frequently. But uh, that's the goal. But increasingly... Uh, uh, when you wake up because you're cold and your blanket's not on you, you have to rearrange it, don't you? And you're like, oh, doggone it. That's why I'm freezing here. And that's what Ruth has done. She didn't want Boaz to sleep the night through. She wanted him to be uncomfortably cold, wake up, have to fix his blanket. And so can you imagine the moment? In the middle of the night, Boaz is like, man, I'm freed my legs for crying out loud. How did that happen? You know, And he's fixing his blanket and... All of a sudden, you know, Ruth has been waiting awake for this moment. She has to make him aware that she's there. Maybe she moved. Maybe she coughed. Maybe she sneezed. I don't know. But she did something. And that's when all of a sudden Boaz is like, you know, ever been startled? You know, holy cow, who's there? You know, and he realizes there's someone here. And who, who is that? You know, he can't see right away. It's dark. And, and this is where it gets good. All right, so verse 9, he says, who's there? And she says, I am your servant, Ruth. Well, he loves Ruth. His heart has been, you know, won over to this gal. And suddenly, they've never been alone before. And suddenly, in the middle of the night, he's awake now, and his heart is racing. Ruth, oh, hi, hi, <clears throat> Hello, Ruth, you know, and, and this, is, this is an intense moment. And first time these two have been alone in this situation, look what she says. She says, spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. So let's talk. I, I shared last week about guardian redeemer. A guardian redeemer is a role that God created. It's a relative of a widow who is, by God, called to provide for the widow and in some cases marry the widow if he's available and willing. And Ruth has thought this through. She loves this guy. God guided her to a field owned by one of the family's guardian redeemers. She says, come on. Boaz, don't you see what God is doing? You're my guardian redeemer. And then she says, spread the corner of your garment over me. That's weird. What does that mean? Well, it's unclear to us, but it's important for us to know that in the ancient culture, when a man took his cloak and wrapped it around the shoulder of a woman, that would be a symbol of marriage and proposal of marriage. It's an imagery of protection founded really with a mother bird wrapping her wings around the young. In a similar way, the husband was saying, would you allow me to embrace you with affection, to protect you, to provide for you, to bless you with, with my devotion? Beautiful picture of marriage. And if a man walked up to a woman and wrapped his cloak around her shoulder in that way. He was essentially proposing in that symbolic gesture. And so when Ruth says, uh, Boaz, for crying out loud, it's been long enough. Uh, what's going on here? No, she didn't say that, but she's applying. She's saying, sir, Boaz, would you wrap your cloak around my shoulder? 
would you marry me? Now you say, wow, that was a bold culture. You know, today, if a woman proposes to the guy, that's viewed as a little uh, against our ways. Folks, it was ten times more radical back then than it is today. This girl, Ruth, wow, she's going way outside of the cultural norms. She is bold in saying, marry me, buddy, would you marry me? And uh, folks, I think it's just so ironic and wonderfully ironic that in this great book about God's providence and his activity is a demonstration of human initiative at an unheard of level as the young Ruth proposes marriage to Boaz. How does he respond? Let me read what he says. Verse 10, the Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied, this kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after younger men. Uh, okay, let's talk about this. First of all, this kindness. Let's highlight that. Boaz refers to Ruth's proposal of marriage as a kindness. And he says, this kindness is greater than the other one you showed. And what's the other one? The other one he's referring to is when Ruth accompanied Naomi, leaving her homeland, Moab, all her family, all her friends, and demonstrating devotion to her mother-in-law and her mother-in-law's God. That was the first compliment that uh, Boaz gave to Ruth. He says, man, are you good to your mother-in-law. But now he says, you know, that kindness was great. Kindness is even better. I can't believe you just proposed to me. Now, we're a little surprised by that because you may have been inclined like I was to think that the kindness is really Boaz being willing to marry the poor widow Ruth. And Boaz is like, no. The kindness is Ruth being willing to marry me. And part of why he feels that way is evident here. He says, you've not run after younger men. Apparently, here we find out that Boaz was older and Ruth was younger. That's probably why he never verbalized his affection or proposed marriage himself. That was probably his insecurity. She could do better. She is so beautiful and so young and she has guys falling over her and and I'm, you know... I had my first colonoscopy already. I'm part of that group. And uh, Boaz is saying, you could do better. You know, sometimes we, you know, I, I will say, if you ask me, I'll say, you know, I married way up, right? And if you ever are asked, did you marry up or down? The correct answer is up, all right? You, you're in big trouble. Other. And what we're getting at is, you know, did you outkick your coverage? Or sometimes said, you know, did you, you know, get somebody you had no business winning over? And that's what Boaz is saying. It's a beautiful thing. He's saying, Ruth, I got no business dreaming to be married to someone like you. You are so godly. You are so noble of character. And you are so beautiful. I just never saw it as a possibility. What an incredible kindness you have extended in this moment. One other thing he said, and I want to highlight it here. The Lord bless you. This is really important. Boaz, this godly guy, announces God's blessing on Ruth for her marriage proposal. 
That's important because some of you, maybe me, may have been tempted to say, I don't know about what Ruth just did there. That was not a very godly thing, putting on the perfume, looking all hot, sneaking up in the darkness, proposing marriage. How forward. No respectable young lady would ever act like that. Or maybe you take the spiritual turn and you say, no godly woman, a godly woman would just passively wait decade after decade until the guy gets up the courage to make the ask. And Boaz says, no, don't, don't, don't say Ruth is ungodly. Don't think Ruth lacks faith. She demonstrated faith by boldly initiating where I lack the guts to do so. May the Lord bless you for what you have done. Folks, in Christian circles, we tend to view God's providence. God acts, that's beautiful, wonderful. When humans initiate, oh, that's ungodly. That lacks trust. No. Here, I'm going to provide three observations or principles as to how human initiative and divine providence relate. Three, all right? Here's the first one. Let's put it up here. Both providence, divine providence, and human initiative are biblical and beautiful. In this moment, uh, Boaz is saying, Ruth, what faith, what courage. You risked my rejection. You risked people misunderstanding what's going on here. Yet you believed God was behind this and you courageously stepped into it. Beautiful faith. And folks, I want to tell you, when God moves, when it's all providence, that's a beautiful thing. And when you courageously demonstrate initiative in whatever arena of your life you feel God's nudging you to do it, that too is beautiful and biblical. That's the first observation. The second one is this. Sometimes providence is accomplished through human initiative. I'm getting kind of theological, philosophical here, so you may have to wake up and think with me, but you, you can do it. Uh, we're tempted to sometimes say, divine providence, God's activity is here. Human activity, human initiative, a very different and unrelated thing. No. Sometimes God acts and brings things about through human initiative. Uh, when we look at Ruth's marriage, we, we would be, te- uh, I just gave it away. Ruth and Boaz get married. <laughs> Sorry for spoiling it, but anyways, uh, one, one, one could be tempted to say that marriage is not a God thing. No, no, no. You should have seen how bold that lady was. She made it happen. She forced the matter. You know, uh, you can't call it a God thing when you have that bold initiative. It's not true. Yes, you're right. Uh, Ruth was bold, but God is in it. And it's a both thing. Is their marriage a God thing? You bet it is. It's providence. But it's God accomplishing something through human initiative. Uh, one of the reasons I know that Ruth believes this concept about how they work together is what she says, or the way she proposes. She could have proposed in so many ways, but she chose to use Boaz's own verbiage to propose. When she said, wrap your garment 
the corner of your garment around me? Let me show you something. If you recall chapter 2, we already looked at this. Uh, This is a prayer that Boaz had already announced over Ruth. Boaz had said, May you, Ruth, be richly rewarded by the Lord, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Do you remember that? We, We studied that last week. Boaz says, Ruth, I am so impressed. I pray that you would be so blessed by God that God, like wings, would wrap his arms around you. And that, again, symbolizes protection, affection, devotion. May you be blessed by God's provision and protection. Ruth says, you know, I'm going to use that same verbiage. Go into when she proposes, she says, spread the corner of your garment over me. Something that's not obvious, but you got to know the Hebrew. The word wings and the word corner of the garment is the same exact word. Kanap is the Hebrew word. So she's saying the same thing. Another way, Boaz, she says, I know you really want to see me protected by God. How about you be the answer to that prayer? How about you see God protect me by you protecting me? Isn't that interesting? Ruth is theologically astute. She says, Boaz, be the answer to your own prayer. Theologically speaking, one commentator said, sometimes God's actions are seen in our actions. They go together. It's a divine dance, if you will. God's activity working with our initiative is how he often wants to accomplish his best work. Let me show you one more. One more uh, principle, and that is this. Sometimes providence, as we see how they interplay, Sometimes providence provides opportunity for human initiative. Sometimes God providentially works in the circumstance to tee up a glorious opportunity that you must boldly walk through. A door, he's saying, come on, let's do this thing. So providence sets up human initiative. And that's the case in this story as well. I'd like to go back to when Naomi first gave Ruth the idea of what to do on this winnowing night. Uh, Let me show you again. Here is uh, Ruth 3 uh, verse 2. Remember what Naomi said? I want to admit I'm not reading it in the NIV this time and I'll point out the difference. Behold, Naomi says, Boaz will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor tonight. The behold wasn't in the NIV. It's in the old versions like the King James, NASB. I normally uh, applaud all the uh, interpretive decisions that the New International Version of the Bible does, but I wish they wouldn't have gotten rid of the behold. I understand why. It sounds very archaic. Behold, you know, we don't talk that way very much. But the word, the Hebrew word hene conveys, and can you believe and look at this? We already saw this last week. Uh, Last week we saw providence hinted at when the writer said, here Ruth starts winnowing, uh, I'm sorry, gleaning in a field on her first day, and behold, Boaz showed up that very day from Bethlehem. Remember that? Hene, same word. And the writer was saying, can you believe what happened? Look at the divine coincidence. 
Well, Naomi's saying the same thing. She's like, what are we going to do? What are we? Behold, this very night is going to be that party. And Boaz will be sleeping in the dark alone. This is your opportunity. What is she saying? God providentially has lined up the golden opportunity. Sometimes that's how they relate. Is that God providentially is in the works. But then he stops and he says, all right. Walk. Do it. Get up. Charge. And God wants us to boldly follow through that door of opportunity that he has providentially provided. So, if you view God's providence over here, that's the God stuff, and human initiative over here, and then the two will never mix. Oh, no, 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 no. It's a dance. God says, it's how I work. I work behind the scenes, but I demand that my activity not lead to your passivity, but that my activity lead to your bold, courageous activity as well. Let's apply this principle, shall we? What arenas of your life might there be some application here? One of them, let's start with romance. I mean, that's the the, the context that we see it here. To all the singles among us, Sometimes there are singles who say, you know, I'm praying for God's providential hand in bringing me a spouse. And then they stay in their apartment every day for 20 years, you know. And they're waiting for Prince Charming to show up at the door. God could do that, and he may. But he may also be calling you to boldly demonstrate some initiative and allow his providence to work in combination with it. I was talking with a guy uh, who kind of confessed to me that he has been using uh, a dating Christian dating website to go on dates. And he, he feared that that demonstrated a lack of faith. And I'm like, no, that's great. You know, I wasn't around when I was, uh, you know, in, in the market. But uh, that's awesome. I, I think that uh, I'm not regretting who I got. I love my wife. And, uh, but yeah, I believe that God works. But I believe we got to boldly demonstrate initiative as well. So what else? Um, how, about, how about evangelism? Um, some people say, you know, I really want to be used by God to help others find him. And I've made myself available to the Lord. I've told him, use me. You know, 20 years have passed. I've never had an opportunity. It may be that you're too passive. The best evangelists I know believe in providence. Oh, God's behind, but they are bold. They're knocking on the doors of their neighbor. They're inviting them over for dinner. They're asking them to church this time and asking them to church next time. And there is a boldness that's there that meets God's providence with great effect. Uh, What else? How about parenting? Sometimes, you know, we look at our kid and we're like, oh, no, that's not good. And we pray and say, oh, Lord, you better fix that. Providence, Lord, fix that, fix that. And you should pray, but you should also get involved. This week, we had an issue with one of our kids who was in our bedroom, bedroom crying. My wife marched upstairs, went into that room, closed the door. She dove in. Was she praying for God's involvement? You bet but courageously addressing the matter. And God brought, through providence and human initiative, a great victory in the heart of our child that night. What about uh, career? Um, I I, uh, was looking at a guy in my small group who one day he just said, I've been sitting in the same position at my company for 18 years. 
kind of been waiting for God to just change things. He said, I'm starting to think God's calling me to be bold. And I'm like, do it. And so he marched into his boss and he said, you know, I'm done working in this department. I am requesting a transfer to another department and an entirely new job. Holy cow. And God is blessing that and there's great fruit coming. You say, oh, that's all human initiative. That's not a God thing. God and his providence often work in tandem with human initiative. What about church? I've had folks come to me in church just saying, I've been waiting for Christian friends. I know that the Bible says I am to be in community with great Christian friends. Connect in community is one of our four priorities. And they say, it's just not happening. God may be calling you to introduce yourself to someone. Say, hey, are you doing lunch after church? Joining a small group. Say, oh, I tried that. It didn't go well. Try it again. Folks, bold human initiative is met with divine providence and yields great fruit. You know, I'll give you another one. Uh, just This is applicable to me. You know, and we as a church have enjoyed two mergers. You know, we merged with the Wheaton campus of our church, which was our mother church, and we merged with the Bolingbrook campus, which was our daughter church. In both cases, there was a very providential encounter where I encountered a leader from their church and a conversation began and we were like, oh, wow, I think this is a God thing. Did we sit back and say, let's just sit back. Let's not get too active. Let's, if God wants this to happen, he'll make it happen. I did believe that God wanted it to happen, But you should know that we as staff pulled together a team and we said, we're entering like a courtship period with this other church. Let's put on the perfume, if you know what I mean. And let's smell our best and let's put our best foot forward. Let's love them and serve them and reach out to them and pursue them. This summer, when I had my summer study break, I had a month off. Three of those four weeks, I was down at the New Song Church in Bolingbrook preaching there, all in an effort to woo. And you say, that's not very godly, Jeff. If you believe in providence, you just back off. I believe in providence, but I believe God calls us to be bold in our human initiative as well. I believe it's a dance with the Lord. And so I want to just ask you, You know, some of you are just bold by personality type, and you're like, yeah, preach it, Jeff. And others of us are not as much, a little more timid and leaning towards passivity. And this is very challenging. We wanted to lean into providence as an excuse for passivity. And God's saying, no, that's that's not how I dance. And so where is God calling you to be bold What arena of your life is he calling you to step up and follow his nudge and stir up the waters and create some activity? His spirit will lead. And I pray you have the courage to follow. Shall we pray? Oh, before I pray, you may say, I I didn't get it. Did Boaz say yes to Ruth's proposal for marriage? I didn't tell you, did I? Got to come back next week, week four of the series. I'll give you a little hint. 
He wants to say yes, but he says, we have a problem. Now you're coming. All right, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we can be timid and chicken at heart sometimes. And so, Father, I just ask that you would make us courageous. You say in your word that the Holy Spirit can give us courage, and we need it. And so would you, Lord, help us to engage in that divine dance with your hand at work providentially in the circumstances of our everyday life, but us being people of bold faith, stepping out where we feel you nudging us to do so. God, make it beautiful. For your sake, for the sake of our lives, advancing your great cause. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.